episode 53 of Songs from a Padded Envelope. My name is Steve and I'm here with co-host Ben. Hello, Ben. Arms behind me back. Hello there, mate. <laughs> and we'll just leave that there. <laughs> Uh, we're in different rooms as well, so. Uh, we're, uh, we're... <laughs> oh dear! Does that make it we're... worse or better? I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We'll just leave it to the listener's imagination. We are joined for this episode by our good friend Carl Roberts for a conversation we've been waiting for some time to have. Then we have and you said our friend carl and it's this is all about a tale about friendship isn't it mm. um friendship born out of music and the longevity of those relationships and yeah and how special they are yeah it's a big part of the conversation isn't it um from our perspective and from the carl's bandmates and i actually struggled a little bit with writing some writing up a few notes for this introduction because i think a lot of it is in the episode in terms of teeing up uh the sort of dynamics between us and the and the the journey but uh, uh, but one of the things that we didn't really talk about or that i wanted to talk about in this introduction is how much i love carl's songwriting you know there there's some vivid stuff in carl's song but there there's there's an emotional resonance right across all of the songs that carl's written and co-written um that just you know speaks to i yeah i really love it I, I just really love it and so it's great it was great to be able to talk to him about his music making i really was and you know, i think i think um you know you, you teed up the conversation at the beginning when we first first talking to carl about how this had been one that we've been you know been on the cards since the sort of inception of the podcast and it it did feel like i held that in my mind and then listening back to the the interview and it pretty much summed up everything that you'd want to say you know when we were setting out about what what might this podcast be about what kind of stories might 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 it capture and and this uh carl's particular journey which is far from over isn't it you know kind of and the those sort of first inceptions kind of wonder of naivety and uh, being hardwired on self-belief and then having had that sort of bird's eye view I mean particularly for you but and partially for me into his development as a as a musician and a songwriter and some of those very first um, Gintis tunes that he talks about which are totally brilliant um, mm. but I, I love the fact that he he says you know he, they just thought they were normal pop songs and then looking back on them now it's like God, how did I ever think that that was not a normal pop song? But I mean, it's not the whole truth of it, is it? You know, but no. but then the man has, you know, the man has morphed and developed like people do across twenty years into a a very impressive human being and a marvelous mm. marvelous musician and someone that is just loves collaborating. You clearly can't get enough of finding other like minded people to work with. Um, and to get them to join his band or to get to join their bands. I don't know if I can add anything to that, mate. I think you've summarised it and set it up perfectly. And that's, yeah, that's that captures it all. Um, I, I really enjoyed the conversation and uh, and it's a, it's a treat to be able to present it uh, for people to listen to, for people to listen to now. 
have you got anything else written down that you wanted to add? Because <laughs> that was really nicely, that was really nicely summarised. Thank you. Um, yeah, I was winging it somewhat, but there was some stuff written down. Um, no, probably not, mate. Um, I mean, I, th- I suppose the only other thing that I had in mind is that, um, you know, often after we've done an interview and you listen back and thinking about the tagline, you know, what's the most pertinent thing that, that a, a guest says that kind of sums up their story or mm. and also feeds into our story mm. and and i you know i didn't want to steal this one carl but he did say that music's the only thing that i've ever really understood and the only thing that's ever really understood me and for me that would be that would be the tagline for this episode apart from the you know the last gang in town theme you know kind mm. of it really captured it um because i think i've felt often felt like that myself and i know you have too yeah. Yes, I, I deliberately did put that in my notes because I knew full well that you would put, put it in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, no. It's brilliant. Uh, uh, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Well, look, um, thank you so much to, to uh, uh, Dr. Carl Roberts for coming on to uh, Songs from a Padded Envelope. He's a wonderful guest and I hope you, hope you enjoy uh, this conversation. Thanks very much for listening. Do subscribe and leave us a a nice review and uh, please do help spread the word and tell your friends to stop listening to comedians putting the world to rights and listen to some <laughs> enthusiastic music nerds banging on for a bit banging on a bit and i didn't bang on the desk once mate you bloody did <laughs> and when you listen back to this you'll hear it <laughs> really? i didn't say anything because i'm a oh, professional oh. but that's why ben's got his hands tied behind his back because he keeps banging his desk oh shit okay <laughs> well on that shall we go over to uh no we shall no. we're going to talk about you being a desk banger for a bit <laughs> and after we've done that for i don't know several hours let's go over to our conversation i'm not going to call you carl roberts uh, let's go over to our episode 52 of songs from a padded envelope with carl gintis fucking desk banger <laughs> yeah so um i'm carl roberts um from the band gintis who is a band that I've been in since I was about 16 or 17 years old. I'm 36 now. Um, this The demo is a song called uh, Hope Is All We Have, which was a, a Gintis demo from around 15 years ago, um, which is, uh, we never released it or put it on anything um, because we, just really liked the demo so much that never really kind of emulated a demo again. But uh, there's a the album that released in 2011 called Idiot Guides and Plans. The name of that album is taken from a lyric in that song. And then we're releasing the album this year, which we're actually going to call Hope Is All We Have, named after this song. But again, this song isn't on it. <laughs> so um, yeah, so. Uh, yeah, I've been in Guinness all of my adult life and uh, also in a couple of other bands. So I'm now in a band called Bad Sea, um, a, a band called The Holy Gloam, and another one called Big Softies as well. So, Well, thanks for coming on to the show, Carl. We're going to get into all of that stuff that you just talked about there. Um, but I suppose, well, this is an episode that's been on the cards probably since the inception of the podcast if we're being honest um could you do you want to say a little bit how we uh, say a bit about how we know one another 
Um, so we know each other because Steve produced um, the first official release that Gintis did in 2004, which was an EP called so Super Soakers and Mega Drives Broke These Little Hearts, which was recorded in an abandoned British Legion on the same eight-track desk that you recorded uh, the Flotation Toy Warning album Bluff of the Sky to the Flight Deck on. And uh, we met uh, a, we were introduced by a guy called Mark Colquith, who had a small Welsh record label who wanted to put that EP out. We were introduced, I think, as being the only two people in North Wales that were into Sparkle Horse. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, when I met you in Conway, I can't remember the name of the bar. I think it was like an open mic, uh, an open mic night or something like that. And then yeah. we instantly hit it off and we talked for hours about music. Um, and it was it was quite clear from then that we were going to, you know, kind of... Uh, <laughs> I was just about to say spend the rest of our lives together. It's not untrue. No, and then you uh, also produced the album that released... Well, so you produced the album that we recorded after that EP, uh, which released in 2006, which was called Happy Drunken Accidents, which uh, you actually released on your own Hidden Hive label because nobody else wanted it. And uh, and then a few years after that, we recorded another album with you as well, which is Idiot Guys and Plans. So um, obviously, you know, um, you've been a huge part of the Guinness kind of development and story yeah well it's been a privilege and and yeah but ben and i had a little the the label the hidden hive label that that um happy drunken drunken accents came out and i mean just even if we were just talking about that album and the work and kind of making demos and making recording that and artwork and all of that is i mean that's a that's a podcast in itself just talking about <laughs> you could do a track by track actually with guinness couldn't you and there'd be so many stories attached to it it's never uh, not a rich experience and um, yeah it's been a, a total privilege to be part of it and then and then there's crossover with joe came in and played on some flotation uh stuff uh in, in a session uh, uh yes. drummer. Yeah. and um um Lovely yeah lots of cro we've we have creatively collaborated across a number of things and actually this isn't the first time that we've done a like a podcast type interview together is it oh <laughs> i was thinking about that the other day actually yeah we did uh at your house a long 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 time ago like a desert island discs type thing well you've got to call it puffin island Puffin Island discs, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, and we got we got very drunk on a. It might have even been a New Year's Eve, perhaps. Yeah, well, you introduced me to whiskey and ginger ale. I think. That's oh, right. what a lovely thing. thing! Yeah, no, I think it was, was it soda water. It, it, was it? Was it not Jack Jack Daniels and tonic? <laughs> it was that. It was that beautiful. Uh, I don't remember. Sorry. I still have the recording of Puffin Island discs. And, well, all uh, I seem to remember was a lot of time spent. Me going, I wish I was Evan Dando, and you saying, Me too. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's true. Uh, maybe we can do a, like a, a, a secret episode release of. No, we're not. We're not. It's a terrible idea. But yeah, no, that is that does tee up nicely how how we all we all know one another from. 
So yeah, full dis- full disclosure. It's it's lovely though, mate, isn't it? Just thinking about it before coming on the call today, thinking about for you, it's been a really important part of your musical journey, Steve, as well, isn't it? The the involvement with Carl and the Gintis boys and you know, learning how to record and and bring songs together with a band and kind of you know you you played a like a nurturing role in in that sort of journey, didn't you? I I, I don't I think it's been like mutually kind of um, important, but yeah, I feel really lucky to have been um, involved in recording those those sort of those fledgling recordings and making that first EP, and then and then getting to know one another well enough to actually work out what a record was going to be like and how songs were going to be recorded and all that kind of creative um, thinking about what a producer role is going to be and how it fits with your band. And, and then just like just sitting and talking ideas and getting excited about every idea. And, and I, and that's just, that's so up my street. Like you said, we just got on immediately. And um, well, I think it totally was a, a nurturing role um, because uh, we really looked up to you and you also uh, have a way of bringing out the so i think when we when so certainly in that period of time um you brought out a lot of confidence in me as a songwriter i think because obviously there was stuff it was already there that i you know this kind of path that i was going down with certain songs and stuff which is obviously quite oddball i guess and you know if i if, if I would have shown them to like other bands around us at the time or other people that would have been in school with us and stuff, they would have just been like, what the fuck is this? But, but, um, but you kind of like got it and totally like uh, encouraged it uh, and really brought it out, which I feel really lucky to have that um, experience really because it definitely nurtured my confidence as a songwriter, I think, and brought out a lot of, uh, gave me the confidence to, because a lot of those recordings, those songs are, you know, I thought at the time that they were just really great pop songs, but listening to them back, they're absolutely bananas, <laughs> some of them. So you kind of like, you know, the, the, um, you just encouraged me to be like, well, if you think that this is what you should do, then then do it. I was like, all right, yeah, bloody well. <laughs> <laughs> so, Carl, Carl, when you were thinking about coming on the show, did you did you find any demos that you'd forgotten about, and yeah, and and how did you end up settling on "Hope Is All We Have"? Yeah, so it was a difficult one uh, deciding the song because I was initially like, "Do I just do the first ever demo?" Um, and then um, we had uh, just before Christmas, a couple of the Guinness guys came over to my house and we had a little a Christmas a Christmas do, if you will, but there was only half of the band there and, and we just, yeah, we had, I had a little buffet in my, in my dining room. <laughs> but um, Joe, uh, Kyle and Niall came round and um, I'd already asked Joe, I'd, well, I'd asked all of them because if they had any, any demos because uh, being such a terrible archivist, uh, I actually don't, I didn't have any of them. And luckily, Joe um, had loads on his uh, PC at home because we used to record all the demos at his parents' house um, before we came in to do them properly in the studio with you, Steve. So, um, so he had a load of these demos on sat on a on a computer. So we we fired that up, and we actually spent the entire night listening to about two or three hours worth of demos. So 
Um, there was a couple on there that uh, I haven't heard for, you know, 16, 17 years that uh, I was just like, oh, wow, this is actually really good. And um, yeah, there was a couple on there. There's a song called Ever Knows, which we never released, never recorded again. Um, we actually recorded that with Ralph and Guy from a band called Junebug. Um, we had an entire track of birds in my garden tweeting, um, which was which was nice. That was really great. Um, yeah, and then what was it? So, and what was it? How did we decide to land on the song? Yeah, how did you day? settle on? Yeah. So with that one, I just thought that it was um, when I was thinking about it, it was like, well, given that it's a song that I know that Kyle loves that song. Um, and has always kind of said, you know, we should redo that, we should do that. And of course, I've kind of always been a bit like, ah, oh, no, no, it's, it's, it's too old now, kind of thing. Um, but uh, we listened to it, and I was like, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And then just the idea that it was meant to be on Idiot Guys and Plans, the album, but we never put it on. But we called the album Idiot Guys and Plans, named after the lyric in the song. Um, and then, and then we just, we, when we were thinking about a title for the new album, we, we were just like, well, why don't we call it Overs All We Have? And we liked that kind of connection of, we've got two albums now named after this song that nobody's heard. So, <laughs> um, I, I quite like that, you know? Uh, and then listening back to it, it was like, I was like, like, it's actually, you know, it's quite good. I mean, I thought it was quite basic, but it's, 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 you can see, you know, it's, there's something there, I think, yeah. When you were talking about the song at the beginning, you were saying that part of the reason for not recording it was because you didn't feel you could emulate the feel of the demo. Yeah, but I think that, I think that about every demo I ever make, I think, um, because I think that you know what it's like when you <clears throat> when you record a demo, even if it you know whether you've done it on like a four track cassette or if you've gone around to someone's house that people now know a bit more about you know home recording and stuff because it's the first iteration of having the recording of the song which isn't just you singing it at home on a guitar or on one instrument so there's like the first time that you get to layer it in any way put on some backing vocals or you know really even just primitive other instruments when you listen to that back you i mean it's 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 weird isn't it because i always think like it, it's it's such a bizarre thing because if if other people send me their demos, I listen to it and go like, oh, it's a demo. When I listen to my own demos, there's like an orchestra going on. Do you know what I mean? And I expect everybody to be able to see what I'm thinking, mm -hmm. which is just completely ridiculous to think that. But I do always think that. And then um, so sometimes, you know, you, you listen to these demos because you're filled with all these ideas and you can hear things that aren't there. And then I guess you get used to how it sounds and then you go into the studio and there's you know, because we've always had a love of like a lot of lo-fi music as well, you always get scared of making it sound oh, listenable. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a funny thing, you know. Um, and sometimes you just get something that captures something which, even though it's clearly still a demo, you, it doesn't necessarily do it any better by recording it properly. That is rare. But I think in this instance, we did, we, we did actually try to record this in, in tape, didn't we, Steve? And because um, I, I remember it was the day where we all, like five or six of us all lined up holding a symbol each. And 
all of the symbols, we were stood in a row and we all had a symbol on our finger and all of the symbols touched each other they and we were, were trying to create, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were trying to create, I don't, I'm not entirely sure what we were trying to create. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, but needless to say, it ended up as largely just a trap of symbols. It's a nice technique. I mean, it can it can uh, it can bring some nice results. That overlapping human chain of symbols. Can't for the life of me think of what we were trying to. I think was we were trying to create some kind of. It must have been like washy spacey kind of sound but yeah exactly yeah 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 just kind of really sustained kind of cymbal sound kind of but broken a little bit yeah yeah it didn't quite didn't Didn't quite work (laughs) but you know you know you've got to try these things you can end up with some with some absolute gold as we all know from the ridiculous (laughs) things that we've tried in recording (laughs) when when... you you sorry go on no i was just gonna say when you when people come to hear the song at the end you can hear the the live feel of it, the the sound of people in a room making and making bringing a song to life. And I just wondered how it makes you feel listening back to that, Carl. Does it does it drag you back to that moment? What's the kind of story? Yeah, around totally. That? So it was in Joe's bed, Joe's uh, parents' house. So Joe's bedroom and his parents' house in Bodwiven. There's a really really nice bit actually, right right at the very end, so after the music finishes, because I think the there's a backing vocal on the song where it's going like do, 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 do. so I think that I've done one and Joe's done one but clearly this audio bit is just coming after I've done my one and I just go oh that makes you well out of breath that and then I just go and then Joe goes but it does and then I go are you going to do one <laughs> and I'm just like oh but even hearing because I think that even um that little things like that, those documents are really weird because it's like my voice, my talking voice doesn't sound like that anymore. You know, it's because you change, you, I don't know, it gets deeper or whatever as you get older, but it's just funny hearing that because it is, you know, it's a, it's a real kind of, it's, it's a document, isn't it? And uh, yeah, it did transport me back to uh, those times in, in Joe's, in Joe's parents' house in, in Bottlewithin. Yeah. Um, but more so than just the little uh, conversational audio at the end, which was just like, wow, yeah. Because then you just transport it to, to being in that room at that time, aren't you? you know? Absolutely. Was there, were there similar moments when you were doing the kind of two-hour listen-back through demos uh, when you had your Christmas do? Yeah, I think we had an idea that we should release everything <laughs> we never <laughs> recorded, like, like people are going to actually you know want to hear it other than us, but... Um, yeah, there was a lot. I think we were just listening back to all them was a huge, um, a huge nostalgic thing, uh, which is funny because Joe absolutely hates nostalgia, uh, whereas I kind of think that I broadly I'm about ninety percent nostalgia, <laughs> but I live for it, and Joe hates it. So I think I was in the element. I think Joe probably hated every minute of it. But yeah, and and you know, I, I guess. We did have loads of conversations about, I think we were trying to, you know, kind of having really hazy memories about certain things because there was a demo there of the first iteration of um, Chatney, which was on that, uh, which is on Happy Duncan Accidents, which actually became two songs on Happy Duncan Accidents. But at the time was the demo was just one song. So me and Kyle had 
gone up to Joe's and recorded this really odd sounding thing. And then a couple of days later, Joe was like, oh, I added a bit to the end of that song. And it was this steel drum pop thing about a guy called Chatney. And I was like, who's 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 this Chatney guy? And he was like, oh, it's the guy that you were singing about in the first half of the song. And I was like, I wasn't singing about anyone called Chatney in the first half. Of the song. There's a, a lyric in the first half of the song where I say, where I sing, he saw his woman standing with another man chatting. He said, I'm going to ditch his head and never understand. He thought it was another man, Chatney. And then he wrote an entire extra set, set movement of a song about this guy called Chatney, who was meant to be in the first half. That's <laughs> brilliant. So, but I remember that happening. I remember, you know, listening to it, listening to the demo like in the car, like driving Kyle home from Joe's house and kind of thinking about, you know, where we were going to go with this <laughs> really inventive music. But... Yeah, it's on, you know, when you listen back to it, it, it just sounds like so thin. And, uh, but it's kind of, there's something like glorious about that anyway, isn't there? Like, you know, the quality of the recording isn't, you know, there's something about that which makes it better in a way, isn't there? Sometimes, I guess, yeah. There, there definitely is. So, well, I think um, what you were just saying about putting the, putting a demo on, and listening to it and then thinking about what did you say where we're going to go with this where yeah. where 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 were you intending to go with it i mean we've had these conversations but uh, but just that in that that moment driving along what what were your what were your hopes i guess the hopes would have been that we were going to make a living from music in some way um which is something that i mean it's quite funny isn't it trying to think of what your hopes were then relative to what because obviously your whole perspective on why you make music changes and it's not the same as it it now it's not the same as it was then but I guess I guess with youth and stuff at, at the time I think that we probably were hoping that um we would somehow make a living our music I remember delaying going to university because I was so utterly convinced that we were gonna uh do something and it, it's kind of funny because it's like well, we don't think we were, we were ever ever good enough to do that but well i think what well, i don't think it was pie in the sky at all i think no. it was probably a really sent really um realistic um and worthwhile choice you know to say no i am going to put this off because i'm in a really fucking good band because uh, gintis are a really fucking good band making really fucking good music and there are a you know infinite um number of shitter bands and and it wasn't kind of out of step with things there was there was every chance there was every and you had to give it that chance um and i can say that because i was sort of clo close to it and um but also fit everybody everybody that you play gintis to is what's this this is fantastic mm -hmm. it's, it's one yeah. of those things you know there's never someone going that's all right it's not that it's you know, there's an honesty and a, and there's the there's so much to it. Well, we were we were we were talking we were talking the other week, weren't we, about one of the Gintis songs that I know we're going to discuss later on. That that in an alternate universe, that song is you know known by everyone far and wide, and they sing it at the end of the day just to make themselves feel happy and worthwhile. You know, I don't know. There's there's some great music made by that band for sure. Yeah, thanks. I, I actually remember saying to you at the time maybe Steve um certainly was so even thinking back then of being like oh you know I think that I thought I was going to make a living out of it even then when 
when I was far more um, kind of confident and kind of cocksure about things, even then I was, you know, becoming, because of the music that we liked and because of the type of people that we are, it was always, and I, I'm, even at like 17, 18, would always say, I think that it's more important to mean the world to one person than to have like, you know, a hundred thousand people like you. And it was like, you know, and it, it, cause it does, because, you know, when you listen to music, you feel, and there's another thing that I would say as well, I always feel that um, music's the only thing I've ever really understood and think it's the only thing that understands me. So like, there's a, that, you know, when you listen to songs and that you're so enthralled by, you, you genuinely, it speaks to you in a way that there's something about the combination of words put to music, which brings out something, an understanding and, and, you know, a lot of life is trying to feel understood, isn't it? And to, to understand other people. And, and it, and it's such a great way of, you know, I, it, I can listen to a song and not have ever met that person and, and feel like I truly understand them. And quite often with a lot of music of that, I really, really love like that. When I do meet the people, I end up becoming friends with them. So it's, uh-huh. it is quite a funny thing yeah. like, because you're on the same, you kind of, you cut from the same cloth, aren't you? I, I think, you know? Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a kind of foundational understanding of one another. There's a nut, there's kind of shared, you know, I've, I've been feeling that, and this is not to compare, make any sort of comparisons, but I've been thinking about that in watching, watching the Beatles documentary. Watch Have you watched, have you watched it? Yeah. 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 Uh, I think it's an, an, a, a wondrous piece of, <laughs> of uh, filmmaking and, uh, um, the sort of the humanizing of those people and just getting to sit in a room and watch them do their thing and see some of those songs get born. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, in the moment is unbelievable. <laughs> it's just incredible. And I'm not a big Beatles guy, as you know, I'm not a big Beatles guy, but, but see, seeing and, and he- hearing that stuff, but then also thinking, um, moments play out where you think, well, I, I completely understand what's going on there. I'm no, I'm not a musician like Paul McCartney, but I totally know what's going on in that moment between them all. I totally understand that. I couldn't be in the Beatles, but I can completely get it, you know, because um, you have because the, the 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 emotion and the and the the mechanism and the environment and the atmosphere of those things are fundamentally the same. We've we've shared them all. Absolutely, yeah, and ultimately, it's you know they're still four guys that know each other inside out making music together isn't it so that doesn't change does it with how many records you sell so it doesn't and i think that so many of the conversations we've had have been about the importance of connectivity and that and with those you know the infancy of a young band and those first you know finding your people your your kind of spirit the gang that kind of where it fits together and there's something within this conversation isn't there about the kind of longevity of those relationships that sustain you through friendship and through making new music together that just has an essence and a quality to it that's kind of some ways indefinable yeah and it's and it's hugely important and and the i guess you know the fact that this is still a thing so we go through massive massive phases of like you know inactivity and not producing anything but ultimately it's like well we're still really really close friends and 
also give I was talking to you the other day, wasn't I, about our the WhatsApp group that we have, which has nine people in it in in our Guinness WhatsApp group. So there's eight current active members of the band and one previous member of the band. And it's kinda like I feel like, you know, if the joining Guinness is a, it's a bit like the Hotel California in the it's just like once you're in, you're just, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not letting go of you. I'm not letting go of you because it's just like I've found you. I found you. You're one of the people that I feel understood. Like you're fucking going nowhere, <laughs> and it's you know, and it's and it's a lovely thing. And it's like you, you, you know, even for years of not making much music, there's constant activity, and we're talking to each other all the time, making jokes or making references to the things that we've done in the past, and and that's lovely because you know mm. you start something through. Well, I think we were friends first, then kind of coalesced around music, but ultimately. You know, we start as friends and we'll end as friends, and and that's basically it. But um, just the fact that the the band is even still in a form of existence, given that it's been twenty, you know, getting on for twenty years, no one's made any money out of it. It's not like we've really kind of made any real dent in, you know, in you know, into um, popular culture in any way or anything like that. But it's just like, you know. Yeah, but we're we are this, and I can't imagine this not being part of who I am. So, you know. Yeah, it's an aspect of your friendships. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's it's part of what makes that that friendships, as, as you as you were saying before. And I suppose you've had plenty of opportunities where Gintis could have stopped. You know, there was moments where oh, that, that's yeah. Why 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 would we you know carry on and. Well, the circumstances were circum. It were the odds were against carrying on, you know. But, yeah. but there's all, like you said, it's there's always been things to reasons to keep going, or no one's completely, no one's prepared to completely let it go. And actually, no, no and it's it's kind of like it's a it's a it's a it's a focus for getting together as friends, and it, I guess, I and mean, it's something that we all like to do. So. Yeah. I get are you a level. cult? Are you a cult? Are you a kind of like a type of? Cult? <laughs> I, I, I guess in a way, yeah. <laughs> um, would, would, would you des- <laughs> would you des- would you describe us as a cult? A gang, a gang of cults. <laughs> bunch, a bunch of cults. A bunch of cults. <laughs> <laughs> I, I absolutely were. I cert- you certainly were. Uh, yeah. Well. Oh, you must. I, you must have been an honorary member at some point, mate. You must have. No, had, I don't. Steve must have been Steve Gintis at some. I don't, <laughs> don't remember any any sort of bizarre <laughs> baptism or initiation or or. Yeah, an initiation is broadly having a conversation for more than five minutes with me about music, and then being like, "Do you want to be in my band?" <laughs> <laughs> fantastic fantastic well and what more widely around the band when you were first kind of early days of the band living in north wales still and all still in the area and kind of that that, those early days around the band is a was a wider scene that was kind of similar uh similarly supportive and that you were part of so there there were other bands and there were places to play and there was a even if that was sometimes hard fought there was definitely a, a, a culture that existed that that allowed you to grow as a band and find your feet and you have some actually really 
important formative experiences that are maybe harder to find outside of Wales because the Welsh music scene and uh, does have. Uh, could you speak to a little bit about that? Uh, about you know that that seat, that supportive. Scene yeah, that so I, I think that um, Kyle touched on it in the episode two of the podcast where he talked about Jive's room. So that was part of like. Uh, I mean, I guess it was a scene, but it didn't it, you don't it didn't feel like a scene at the time because you don't you're eighteen and you don't you just think that that's what happens when you start playing gigs. But you know, knowing what I know now about that uh, that particular area of the North Wales coast, like Rail, um, that actually that buzz that happened around for that kind of couple of years in in like you know 2003 2004 2005 kind of period that that's unheard of now like that you know um so i guess that there was a bit of magic in the air at that time but completely took it for granted because that's all that we'd known straight out was you know coming from school and college and stuff and playing gigs and there being an audience we didn't realize that actually that isn't the case for a lot of people when they first start gigging in their hometown and you know it's but there was like you know there was um there was a guy called steve rustin who put on gigs in a, a place in real called bar blue and then there was like a um you know so all these people were like really instrumental to that first you know to get it's even you know up to the point of us meeting you really because we we played those first gigs that Steve Rustin was the promoter of. There was a guy who ran a website called Neil Crudd, who's like the kind of like uh, the, the godfather of punk, I think, in the North Wales scene. Um, and he was incredibly uh, kind to us, given that, you know, he was always more of a kind of punk guy. But for some, he just really saw something in us and would write really great reviews he also used to really slate us in reviews as well he didn't you know he kind of he gave us it both you know if when we were crap he'd say that we were rubbish you know and when we were good he would say that we were fine (laughs) 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 um but that you know um through neil um we then uh got those demos onto radio wales and this is all kind of this was all felt so easy and so natural at the time. It was like, well, yeah, well, of course, you know, of course this was going to happen, but it's like, well, it's not, of course, this is going to happen because I listened to those songs back and they're, they're really, we were making very, very bizarre music for our young age. Do you know what I mean? So, but probably that's what interested people yeah, actually, because it was a case of like, well, well, these guys have been clearly listening to loads and loads of Gorky's and Sparkle Horse and, you know, early Mercury Rev and Flaming Lips and, and all, and Pavement and Grandaddy and all that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so then we, 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 we would get these demos played on Radio Wales. Um, uh, Adam Walton was the DJ still is. And uh, uh, he brought like a live, a live, broadcast of three bands that were meant to be the most promising three bands in the entirety of Wales and broadcast the gig live from Rill. So it was kind of like, that's unheard of, but we were just like, well, yeah, of course you're going to come to Rill because it's those, isn't it? But it's like, well, no, that's completely, I mean, and we did such a 
a terrible job of the gig because we all got bladdered. But I don't think, <laughs> you know, we haven't got another, another chance after that, really. But um, yeah, I can't, it was David Wrench and the Caves played that as well that night. Um, so that was just bizarre that there was a, you know, the, the, those live broadcasts and radio worlds that came to Rill, which, you know, that just doesn't, doesn't happen. And that was an amazing thing. Um, but then through the radio play of those demos was uh, then got an email off Mark from Slacker, who was then like, oh, I think that I've, I've got a small record label. I think that we should, and I was just like, right, great. Yeah. Um, so, you know, at the time it felt absolutely massive, but, you know, looking back and you're kind of like, well, it, you know, it wasn't really that big a deal, but it, I mean, it, it is, if you get somebody that's interested in putting out, you know, a bunch of, a couple of hundred CDs by you, you, you know, you're kind of like, wow, this is mind blowing. Do you know what I mean? So somebody that's uh, older than you, that thinks that what you were doing is good enough to were to spend some money on we, we were just like that's that seems like such a bizarre concept set to me that someone was willing to put their own money into pressing some cds do you know what i mean so um yeah so that was that kind of like very very first uh early bit pre doing the proper recordings with you uh and there was there, there was like a, a an odd buzz at the time yeah did it feel very tangible at that point? Would you say that you felt like it was within within reach of you to take it much further than it than it? Yeah, totally, was? absolutely. And, and and again, it feels kind of silly thinking that now, really. But um, it did. Yeah, I guess it did. Um, there was loads of really really good bands around at that same time as well, so that helped. Uh, so Jive's Room. Um, so Kyle losing Gintis was in a band called Jive's Room. They were younger than us. They went to a different school. And um, and they were younger than us, and we poached Kyle because we loved their band, and we were just like, yeah, we need him. So, we, so, so we got him. <laughs> um, and uh, there was a band called Junebug, who were kind of um, uh, we almost kind of looked at them as being like statesmen, old heads of the scene, but they were they were about twenty two, I think, at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but we were just like, oh, these guys have got so much experience and they're like really, really young anyway. Um, and they helped with, they had a little bit more experience than us. Um, so, and, and they knew how to record stuff. So they would help us out with some demos as well. Um, and there was a band called Dear Bomber as well, who were, who were great fun. We used to play with them. And then, um, and then there was a band called Carpet as well, who were amazing, like a really kind of hard, uh, kind of Motorhead-esque. Motorhead mixed with the Jimi Hendrix experience, kind of really loud, really psyche kind of stuff. And then, because those um, those nights in 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 Rill would, would regularly, like every Wednesday night, you'd get like 100 or so, you know, 200 people there, which is crazy now thinking about that for, for, for somewhere in Rill in a mid, on, a, on a school night. But... Because of that, we were then starting to get some out-of-town bands come in, and that's when a band from St. Ellen's called Lungs came in, who, uh, as soon as we saw them, we fell in love with them and then struck up a, another, well, to this day, a lasting friendship with them. Um, when we They became like our older brothers in a way. We used to 
because they were again and they they were a bit older than us and they were getting in the enemy and 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 they were playing Glastonbury and they were doing things like that. So we we kind of ended up supporting them at every gig they ever did really, and they kind of took us under their wing and then that got us out of town. So um, and then we were getting played on. There's a guy called Ted Harris in Manchester who had a podcast called Cloud Sounds, and then suddenly it's like, oh, we we can get an audience in Manchester, and and then it, you know, it, yeah, these kind of small little steps that you're just like, oh, we're not just a real band now. We're now we're kind of like, you know, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about um, now I know. Yeah. Um, but I think we'll come we'll come back to the song. Um, but one of the themes in now I know is you just touched on it. There is about getting out of North Wales and moving away and what that's going to mean for everybody. Um, and that's a, that's kind of a strong part of the lyric. Can you talk a bit about moving to Liverpool and the impact that that had on your songwriting and your music making? Um, well, I suppose in terms of, you know, me moving to Liverpool, I still wrote stuff, but it meant that I was getting together to kind of do something more formal with the band less frequently. Um, uh, it's difficult to say, really. We we all kind of moved away from, from home, so... Um, most of us kind of moved away to go to university somewhere, whether it was like Stoke or Manchester or Bangor, or a lot of us moved away from the area. Um, which just made things a little bit harder to kind of um, rehearse. But everything, we still kind of kept in touch and would still send stuff. It just kind of became a lot less frequent. And then we kind of picked it up again more like about five, six years ago. But So there was a period of... of well, actually, I think that... I write quite a lot of that second album when I was in university. Probably did. Mm. So I'm just trying to get the timelines in my head now. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's difficult to say really that. I guess what it meant was that because it wasn't somebody wasn't around the corner from me anymore, anymore where I could just drive to and record stuff, it meant that you know we would go, go to somebody's house for like a weekend and it would be more intense, but it would be you know, you'd look forward to it. Um, yeah, and with, with the song now I know, um, that's. I mean, it's. I mean, it's quite funny to talk about your own. That's one song that's still in the set, and we still end the set with. And that's one song that I know that's like, yeah, I nailed it with that one. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it's like, uh, it's just amazing that that song we put that album out in 2011 and that song was never released as a single or anything because it's six six or so minutes long and um that's one that's just crept and slowly built as still being like most people are aware of the band it's their favorite song which it's funny given that it's you know it's just the last song on an album that we but i think because of playing it live and stuff it's still one of the songs that gets the most listens um and people love it i know that um uh, yeah i know um bill bill rather jones who we recorded this newest album with i know that he 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 keeps telling me it's in his top three songs of all time um nice. with, with uh, god only knows and yesterday so <laughs> I, I, I think i think i'm quite i'm quite 
pleased with that. Yeah. I still, whenever we play that song live, I still feel it's still something that, even after 10 years of playing it, like that feeling of that song is still like in, incredible. Like, yeah. There's a lightning. There's a lightning in a bottle element to to, to now. I know, isn't it? The, the the not just the recording of it, but the writing of it and the, the opening lines. Of, You're my brothers, and I love you, even though it's not biological. They're, I mean, it's what we've been talking about tonight. It's what mm-hmm. runs through the whole yeah. that that going away to university thing is the thing that finishes most bands. Most yeah. bands when you know, when when that, that that's that signals the end. But it but it wasn't that for you, and you and you kind of hit on that um idea for that song and um it is a very special song you know so um which is why i wanted to sort of talk about it because as ben said before it is it is um uh, you know in a parallel universe it is uh, filling stadiums and it is hey jude or you know sweet child of mine or (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a yeah it's a it's a it's uh, it's a song about solidarity, isn't it? You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I guess you know, if you if you're in a band, then you know you've experienced that. I know so many people that have come onto this podcast and talked about that thread coming through all of them, which is basically like it's yeah, you know, it's a, it's a love for one another, isn't it? And it's a and it's a way of expressing that. But it's funny when you said about um, the thing about going to university and people like it kills some bands and. You know, I, I guess I was thinking that probably what I did probably think was, oh, when I, when I go to university, I'll probably start loads of bands with other people because there'll be loads of uh, like-minded people at university that all play music, and I, and I, I didn't, that didn't then didn't happen. It wasn't there wasn't anybody when I went and did my undergrad that I was like interested in making any music with. I met CJ and Lauren who played trombone, and Lauren sang on now I know. And they they came over and and, and 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 did some recording with us, but um, yeah, in that time period, I couldn't make music with anyone other than the lads in the band already. So, but you, you have gone on to make lots of other music with other people, Carl. Yeah, and you should tell us about some of that. But what is it that sustains Gintis for you? It's uh, I just because I don't know what it's like in my adult life to not be in that band with them people and that doesn't mean playing gigs that just means like you know just the idea of it you know like when you, you meet some people that they hang around in the gang and they say they're in a band but they're not they just say that you hear it and like you see it on loads of like um, documentaries of, of of music films i saw it like on the studios when i watched it the other day and they were saying oh we used yeah, to say yeah. that we were such and such good parties we weren't actually it's like i guess that's you know when you have like a, a three-year period where you haven't played a gig or recorded anything and I guess that's what you are, but it's just kind of like, well, it's just, we're just, uh, we're just a, a bunch of mates that are bound by something. But um, yeah, I th- I, in terms of wait, coming back to the well, it, it's not, it's not a conscious thing of, of it coming back. It's just like, well, it's, this is just something that I do with my friends that I've always done. It's not like a conscious thing of being like, oh, I, oh, I haven't done that for a while. I should do it. It's, it's not as um, it's 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 not uh, I'm not as cognizant of it uh, of you know it, it's just almost like it's just an innate thing that we all just kind of it, it just happened I, I don't I honestly don't know um, yeah. other than 
I love spending time with those people and uh, they make me really, really happy. And uh, and, I, and I feel genuine, genuinely understood when I'm with them. And I think that being understood is one of the most important things in, in life. Um, and when you, and when you, when you find that, then you, you need to keep hold of it, I think. So. Yeah, that's very well. Oh, said. yes. Yeah. Well, that yes. Makes, that makes so much, that makes so much sense. Well, you talked about, um, some of the other bands that you've, uh, the, the, the closeness that you've got with the folks from Gintis. So can you talk a little bit about making music outside of that with, with, with other people? Cause you've, 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 you've been involved in some really fantastic music making with other, other people. Um, how, how has that been for you and, and, and what sort of, um, yeah, some of the highlights for doing from, from doing that. Yeah, well, I was going to kind of start with saying about the wobbly arts, but then Rob and Jules from Guinness are in that. <laughs> we're in that band, so it's <laughs> yeah. never, you know, the, the the kind of yeah, the apple never fell too far from the tree. We had so we yeah, we had a band, the Wobbly Hearts, which um, Rob um, from Guinness is in, and Jules is in, and then there was. Uh, Ralph from Junebug and then Hargy from Carpet. So some of the bands that I mentioned before, we made an album recorded in uh, Russ on Sea. Uh, no, sorry, in Penmine Mower um, with Russ up there in Orange Sound Studios, and that was thought that was great. We, unlike Guinness, that band were a really really tight and solid live band. Uh, and we went into the studio and recorded 11 songs in three, two or three days, all live, and then just a couple of overdubs afterwards, which is just not how we've ever done it with Guinness. It's always been tracking and writing bits in the studio and developing stuff like that. So, but this was like just a completely different approach where it was like, you know, we're, we're, I've got, I've got a bunch of songs and we're going to work on these. And we gigged and, and gigged and then went in the studio, which is the exact opposite of how I've worked in the past. And it worked really well in another, you know, it, I thought that was a really, really great album. Um, again, uh, never formally disbanded that group, so you never know, something might happen again. <laughs> most, most, most of us are also in a band now called Holy Glow, which is Jules has written a, an album where he's recorded every instrument and he's assembled a live band, which is mainly the lads from the Wobbly Hearts. Um, so it's me, Hargy, and Rob again in that one, and then more recently uh, joined uh, by the Sea, who are um, a Wirral band, uh, who we I've known for years, and we kind of occasionally played with them as Guinness and uh, Liam, uh, the singer of that band, the songwriter, always whenever. So we weren't like in close touch or anything over the years, but. Would, whenever I saw him, I would always go and say hello, or if I bumped into him, I, I'd always like have a drink with him, or you know, we, we we played at Focus Wales together. Well, we didn't play together; they were on a different stage at a different. They were like headlining, and we were on at like two in the afternoon at somewhere down the road. But we spent the entire day together, you know. And I guess it was kind of that was a thing of seeing something in him that I could. You know, again, another person that's kind of cut from the same cloth and just being like, okay, and remember him sending me some demos um, of the songs that are, of a, two of the songs that are on the new album that we've done with By the Sea, 
and it was before I was in the band, and he was just like, oh, yeah, I've got, I've got a couple of songs if you want to hear them. I was like, of course I want to hear them. And he, he sent them to me, and I remember being in an airport. I was going away somewhere, and I was just listening to them and just being like, oh, these are fucking incredible. And, like, just, like, really gushing to him and saying, like, these are... And, and, um, I think that he was really unconfident about it. I was like, oh, and he was just like, oh, cheer. And I was like, no, mate, these are these are apps. I think these are some of your best songs. You know, these are the lyrics in are amazing. That, and then and then and then about uh, two years after that, he was like, uh, do you fancy like being in the band? And I was just like, I, I, I think I said I'd love to, mate, but I can't really play guitar very well. So I don't want to. You know, you're a bit more professional than I'm used to. And he was like, oh, don't be stupid. You don't need to play the guitar. And, as it, as it turns out, um, he's spent significant time teaching me how to play the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then um, me and Liam and then uh, Bill Ryder-Jones have been making some music under the name Big Softies as well. So again, that's come from... Um, so Bill uh, produced our new album that's coming out and the singles that came out uh, a couple of years ago, so he's the only person that Guinness have worked with in a studio since you. Um, but during those sessions, and uh, de- developed a really, really close uh, friendship with him. And again, another person that is just the same again. And like you know, when we talk about music, it's like we we get the same. We understand the bits of songs that we really like the bits that we get excited about the bits that makes us want to punch the air we understand what's good i understand what's great about his songs he understands what's great about my and we've kind of and it was just it's a natural conclusion for me bill and liam to start writing songs together as well um so there's yeah so i guess that one's something that's just purely a um a studio thing um but yeah, so in, in more recent years, I have I guess I've started to work with other people as well. But um, yeah, so yeah, I, we got uh, so there was kind of like a resurgence of Guinness around 2017. So there was a big gap between Idiot Guides and Farms, which is 2011, which um, the Lungs, the band I was telling you about before, actually released because they decided that they, it was too good and they wanted to release it. Um, and then there was a period of time where, you know, we were really sporadic and we were always kind of seen around that time because we were, we would just get together like for one gig a year or something. And we'd be so shambolic that we were kind of seen as, um, a little bit of a joke really, I suppose. Like, you know, as in like, I think that there was still a lot, an awful lot of love for the band, but everybody knew that we were a shambles. Um, I guess that we, everyone thought that from the start anyway, because we always were. But um, but around that time was so a couple of things aligned. So I'd met Bill because I'd talked to his dad at a gig, who his dad was wearing a Pink Floyd T-shirt, and I said, "Nice T-shirt, mate." I don't even know why. It's not like I go around to everyone that has a Pink Floyd T-shirt saying, "Nice T-shirt." <laughs> it must have just been something about him. And then he was like, oh, cheers. And then we just got chatting. And after a bit, he was like, oh, that's my son. And then he introduced me to him. And after the gig, and I was wearing a pavement T-shirt, and I said, and he said, nice T-shirt. And then, and then I was like, oh, great. And then he gave me and my girlfriend at the time a T-shirt to go home with. And we were, like, buzzing. And then 
And then I sent him Now I Know, the song, uh, which he loved. And around a similar time, Andy, uh, Andy Black from Popty Ping Records had seen, he had a band on Popty called Treco Bay, who played in Telford's Warehouse in Chester, and Bill went to that gig. And I think there was a conversation there where Bill said something to Andy, like, if you release Guinness, I'll record it. And then, and then Andy helped us get a grant, uh, a Horizons grant to record with Bill. We were the first band that ever recorded in his Yawn studio. And then from the radio play that we got off that single, we squeezed out another single. And then from the money that, that we got from the radio play for that, we managed to get, so we basically managed to squeeze an album out of this small grant that we got um, through with the help of um, Andy and Pocty and, and Bill. So, you know, we talked about all those instrumental people early doors but um certainly in this in this kind of new era then um then those those are people that have been really instrumental in in uh, us being still it's still in existence you know so yeah, yeah. people yeah. discovering your band loving it and wanting to get behind it and support it seems right, to be a yeah. thing that we are discovering here <laughs> uh, yeah for sure how um, do how does it feel to be releasing another record then carl yeah, it's absolutely incredible. So um, I'm really, really proud of this album. Um, but there was a kind of period where I thought it might never come out because like we'd released five songs of it already. And then, <laughs> and then, and then there was a load of, because um, obviously, you know, with the, the pandemic and stuff, I get it, you know, but loads of other stuff happened in that period of time and I kind of was like I always was like I think this album's really really good um but I didn't know how or if it would come out and you know if you let the dust if you let the grass grow on something then suddenly you you stop listening back to it and you stop kind of you become numb to how good it is and you're not having those conversations with people anymore and then suddenly you stop sending it to people. And then, so, um, yeah, very, uh, really, really fortunately, um, May 68, um, I spoke to them, Cy and Matty at May 68, uh, I had a call with them last night actually. And they, they, I sent it to, to them after a conversation we had at a gig. Um, and he'd asked, uh, Cy had asked me to send it to him. And then, you know, he responded by saying that he absolutely loved it and was gushing about it. And and that has then breathed a whole new energy into me. And I, and I feel really excited that it's going to come out this year. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's, I'm really, really proud of it. And uh, I guess it's, you, you always think that every song that, I mean, it gets harder to write songs as you get older, doesn't it? Because every time you start writing a song, then you want it to be better than the last song you've written. And once you've written you know, hundred songs and you only know four chords, it gets really hard to, to make it better every time. So, you know, but I think that, yeah, I, I, you know, in terms of songwriting, I think this is the best, definitely the, the best one. Um, so it's, uh, it's really magic that that's, that's going to come out. Cause we were, it was one of them where we'd, with the lads in the band, it's like, I don't just want it to sit on my computer forever. And I, and I, I don't really just want to kind of like lash it up on Spotify and not tell anyone either. So it was kind of like, and it was always, it was always in the back of our minds that 
we did want a little bit of a fanfare as much as you know it, you know even the i think as much as you think oh you know you make you make art for art's sake i think that everyone really wants a little bit of a fanfare so um so it was like just for us you know and, and also there was during that time period of kind of finishing all of the tracking and stuff and over the last two years and there's like obviously my sister passed away which was uh, so jules and the band was married to my sister laura we we um we provided end-of-life care for laura during lockdown which was really really difficult thing to do um gaz uh drummer lost his brother in that time period so there's a you know a huge amount of grief in the band as well which and then with all lockdown and all that kind of thing just real inertia but just the the thing that was keeping us going through that was we were just determined to be like after everything that has happened i really really want to stand on a stage with you guys singing now i know and being like we're fucking still here you know um and that's we 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 did that in in really the week and that's what it felt like and uh, yeah and that that was an amazing thing so um yeah there's a real energy at the moment everyone's kind of excited about putting this out and playing a handful of gigs and doing a little bit of a fanfare this year so that's so exciting. Well, that will that will you know yeah yeah absolutely absolutely well look mate thank you for coming on to the podcast um uh yes well we you know we i i, I could say quite a lot about uh the connection that we have around songwriting and things and it's been a privilege to see you grow as a songwriter and all the stuff that you've done and and uh and i love your songs and i love the fact that you still send me acoustic demos of things that you've done and oh i'm glad you said that because i sometimes do think oh this must do his head and you know (laughs) quite the opposite quite the opposite i i I love it and 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 but i I know what you mean because i send you i send you my demos (laughs) should i just be but then you know it's there's a there's a handful of people that have got you back with that stuff but in fact there's probably two and i'm talking to both of them right now <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much but th- no th- look mate thanks for coming on to the to the podcast it's been it's been ace to be- have a opportunity to talk to you like this um ben is there anything you want to ask before we wrap up because we are over yeah. the hour and- no i don't think so mate but i think there's a, there, that that performance of now and i is up on on the internet for people and we should definitely put a link to that in the in the show so people, I think you get a real sense of how important that song is to all the people in that room. Um, yeah, so we sh- people should definitely go and check that out. Definitely, yeah, for sure. Yeah, well said. Uh, can we finish with you just introducing the song that people are going to hear now, please, Carl? Uh, yeah. So this is the demo of the song uh, "Hope Is All We Have" by Gintis. Thanks, Carl. Yeah, thanks, Carl. Hope is all we have today, and hope's all we've ever had anyway. But with scattered diagrams, idiot guides and plans, you realize death is not the end. 
Are you going to put a track of that one as well? Songs from a Padded Envelope is presented, produced and edited by Steve Swindon and Ben Clay. Music is by state-sponsored Jukebox. Artwork is by Matt Canning. Songs from a Padded Envelope is a Hidden Hive production. <laughs>